So welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today we're going to talk about sustainable forestry and technology. And we're joined by Thomas Norman Kangalim, who's the co-founder and CEO of Ecotree. How are you today, Thomas? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. We're really excited to talk to you today. At a company level, with Zartis are very interested in that interface of sustainability and technology. And we heard about your company at Web Summit a few months back. And uh, yeah, very, very interested to explore a little bit about what you've been working on. So maybe to kick off, Tama, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to start Ecotree. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm French, as I'm half French, half Austrian. And now uh, living in Denmark, Danish adopted, so to speak. For a couple of years, so I like to see myself as a really as a European or international profile, you could say. Um, and um, yeah, business-wise, I mean, um, I have been mainly an entrepreneur throughout my whole career. I'm now forty, soon forty-four. Um, and um, yeah, I've had three main ventures, or Ecotree is my third entrepreneurial venture. Uh, I started with like a, you know sourcing and trading business in China, not necessarily the most uh, <laughs> let's say sustainable or environmentally friendly business, but back in the days it was very uh, very popular and successful. Then I, I had a, a second venture in Switzerland and went to the IoT, the Internet of Things, actually within the energy sector, like on how to use sensors to optimize energy consumption. So moving one step more closer to, to sustainability and uh, part of, uh, as one of the co-founders at, at Ecotree, where I clearly, yeah, let's say, merged my passion for entrepreneurship and uh, my love for nature. Could you tell us a little bit about Ecotree and what the company does? Well, Ecotree, ultimately, we, we participating to reforesting Europe and then further on uh, the whole world, we hope. What's new and original with the way we do it is like we're moving away from the classic philanthropic model or donation-based model um, and turn tree planting and sustainable forestry into uh, a profitable action. Now, the whole idea is that if we really want to have an impact uh, in this fight against climate change and as soon as possible now and not in too many years, we realized that it was a good way to, instead of shaming, taxing, scaring people about this crisis, which sometimes is counterproductive, we realized a couple of years back um, that it would be more efficient and would have better impact if we instead kind of financially rewarded the, the virtuous ones, those who are actually trying to fix the climate change. And we got a bit inspired by the, the Scandinavian recycling system. If you're familiar with this, Basically, it's a system where you pay a little bit extra when you buy, you know, Coca-Cola or your beer in the supermarket and you get that little money back when you return your bottles and cans uh, after use for proper recycling. And it's, uh, yeah, back in 2014, I think it was, we realized that this was actually a fantastically simple and efficient way to monetize, you know, the act of recycling, to, to put a, a financial incentive in the system. And we realized by digging a little bit further into that system, that yeah, it led to an extremely high return rate in the countries with such a system. It goes up to 90, 95% return. So almost all the used cans and bottles get returned versus you could say, you know, countries without such a system where that return rate is roughly around 50%. So that really hit our mind because we realized that this you know, method of financial incentive actually very simple and actually little and incentive led to doubling up how environmental friendly people actually behave. So we tried to adapt that idea, that concept into, into tree planting and sustainable forestry. And that's how the ecotree model uh, you know, started, where to keep it simple, we, we let basically everyone 
So individuals, you, me, uh, or companies, small, big ones, to basically buy, purchase newly planted trees from our, from our forest. So our clients become what we call tree owners. You know, it's this concept of tree ownership. You actually buy and own a tree. And that means that you, you get both all the environmental benefits associated to that tree um, and the forest that it belongs to and the perspective of a financial return. Because when the trees reach maturity, um, we selectively harvest, cut and harvest them. We never do clear cut, like you know, cutting a whole forest, because that's kind of a nonsense in terms of biodiversity, but we do what we call thinnings, like selective cuts. When your trees are cut, well, you as the owner will get 100% of the proceeds, which means that you will double or triple your initial investment. So it's long-term, definitely. We're talking you know, 30, 50, 60 years time. But um, yeah, it's a kind of a decent financial uh, return or financial incentive. And yeah, ultimately, this is really our vision, basically, to try to have a model that is not just ecologically sustainable, right, um, but also financially, economically sustainable. We believe that's how we can uh, have the real impact and the immediate impact by engaging everyone. And that's how the whole idea started. And that's what we have materialized with our, with our model and, and this uh, ecotree.green uh, website. Very cool. You know, when you spoke earlier, Tama, about recycling in Nordic countries, uh, I remember living in the Netherlands quite, quite some time ago and having my recycling stolen. <laughs> Someone wanted to return the, uh, the empty bottles for money. So I can attest to the fact that... Uh, at my place, it gets stolen by my kids, so they get some pocket money out of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it definitely works. It works, yeah. That's the main thing. And then in terms of your own business model, it's really interesting that you've taken a view that it's going to be, I guess, both B2B and B2C at this point, Tama? Yes, indeed. Um, we, we always thought uh, at our model that it should engage anyone, right, basically. And then that financial incentive should be attractive for both individuals. Uh, even though the, the time frame is very long, so let's say a, a grandmother that, that buries a tree and offer, offers it to its grandchildren is obviously uh, you know, not herself benefiting from that financial gain, and she will basically pass it over to the next generation. Still, it is, it is attractive in that sense. And, and companies, we knew that for them, you know, environmental action is often a cost, and an increasing cost on their, on their P&L, uh, when uh, with our model it becomes an asset financially growing asset on their balance sheet. So, you know, it's a, for CEO or CFOs, it's kind of a no-brainer. So we realized that it was attractive for both individuals and companies. And again, if you wanted to have a real impact, we thought we have to get both individuals and companies involved. You know, there was this COP26 again a couple of weeks back. And, um, well, political leaders actually took some interesting commitments, at least, when it comes to deforestation. But, I mean, again, this is commitment. And I think it is vital that we in the middle, uh, like companies, private companies and startups, help turning those intentions into concrete solutions and then let basically individuals and other companies materialize that uh, practically. So, yeah, I think it's, it was vital for us to, to succeed on, in both segments, definitely. And Tama, I'm very interested to understand whether you have any, any data or any insights about your customer profile, both in B2B and B2C. So let's, let's start with, let's say, the consumer offering. Like, are you detecting that it's, let's say, I don't know, millennials who eat avocado toast and are inspired by, um, you know, doing good? Is it maybe 
older people, as you mentioned, a grandma um, investing on behalf of her grandchildren. What have you learned so far about the people that are engaging with your, with your business model? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And it's a, it's a difficult answer in the sense that it's a very wide uh, you know, uh, community uh, we're actually building. I could definitely say that even though there is this you know, financial return or perspective, I mean, the, the primary motivation of our of customers is environmental. So with that sense, whatever the social origin, location, age, uh, gender, ultimately, uh, I would say all our clients are climate conscious people, I would say. Not necessarily nature lovers, that's maybe one fraction of them, but clearly climate conscious people. So people sensing that this is, there is a matter, there is an emergency and there is a need for acting now. And they're looking for the gap between you know, this, this awareness that they already have and the actions that they are willing to, to take. So, um, yeah, it, we have some you know, KPIs or some figures, and it's typically more urban people, maybe because they're somehow a bit more disconnected from nature. So I like the idea of supporting forestry and kind of owning a piece of, a piece of it. So I would say mainly still urban, clearly between 35 to 45 aged. And uh, well, actually, both male and female. In that, with that regard, there is no big distinctions. But um, we sense also a very strong and growing traction from the, the younger segment of the population. Clearly, the millennials, with a good reason, because it's their their future we're talking about. Which lately, they are also showing a really strong interest in our in our model for sure. I guess it probably plays to the whole emerging trend around fractional ownership. I guess, you know, some people are looking at this as a, from an investment perspective and they, they have fractional ownership of a forest, I guess, in terms of owning individual trees. Yeah, and, and that's also what's new with our model. I mean, actually, forestry, uh, now maybe looking at the financial aspect of it, has always been a, a, actually a fairly attractive class of asset. And you have many wealthy old families or big multinational companies that actually have forestry as a forest assets in their, in their portfolio. But again, it, it was a class of asset with a, a very high entry ticket, you could say, right? You needed to acquire land, have the, the financial means to, to sustain and maintain that forest and so forth. So it was a very a niche, so to speak. With our model where, as I said, it's basically in a few clicks and for a few euros, you can start buying one tree, basically. Um, we've digitalized and democratized that class of assets. So now, even if you are, you know, 18, uh, have a little money from whatever side jobs you're having besides your studies, well, you can start actually investing in this asset and, in a way, investing in a greener future. Very cool. And Thoma, in terms of the, the companies that you're selling to for your B2B side, are you finding companies of all scales, locations, industries? Are you seeing any patterns or trends emerging in terms of who's engaging with you? Well, for sure, there's more and more you know, interest from company, whether it is genuine or, or forced by the, by the market push. It's, it's another question. But well, at least business-wise, I think we've been uh, wise enough to start not necessarily aiming for the big ones, but starting actually with really SMEs, small firms, with actually quicker decision processes and actually maybe more likely genuine interest for what we were doing. It really started with, uh, you know, lower end, you could say, of, of the company segment, B2B segment, uh, which helped us actually build credibility, profitability as well. And actually that, that helped us to attract the bigger ones, the bigger fishes, so to speak. So I would say we have uh, yeah, a good three-fourths of our businesses with smaller, medium-sized companies, and the rest is now with big companies. And of course, part of the B2B segment increasing because, again, for good reasons now, any big company with a you know, an international footprint um, 
an audience clearly knows that they have to engage. What we, what we see also as a, as a clear trend these days is the, the whole carbon sequestration angle. They are desperately looking into, of course, you know, trying to reduce uh, their f- you know, carbon footprint, but then they also you know, look at how to possibly you know, invest or develop carbon to kind of remove CO2 from the atmosphere as well. And um, yeah, again, here our model is pretty, pretty unique because, again, it turns instead of you know, carbon credits or that, you know, all, all sorts of costs in this field, turns it into an asset. So for bigger companies, it, it has definitely a very important, very critical uh, impact. We've had, you could say, a bottom-up approach on that, uh, on that segment. And now we are covering really still small firms as well as big multinationals. Uh, Thomas, you mentioned the, the topic of carbon credits. Would you be able to explain for benefit of our listeners like how that system works at a very high level and whether any of the companies that you're engaging with are, are requesting carbon credits? Yeah, sure. Well, what we try to you know, assess when, when we initiate discussions with companies is if they have the right orders of priority. What I mean by that is that the top priority for any emitter, actually whether you're a person or whether you're a company, but especially if you're a company and a big one with a big footprint, environmental footprint, and especially a big carbon footprint or CO2 footprint, you could say, the very first step is to actually assess your footprint, you know, understand what you're talking about and where you're starting from, and then define and engage measures to avoid or reduce your emissions. I mean, that should be the very first step. There's no, honestly, it's, it's a kind of a nonsense to even start planting trees and all that if you haven't gone through those first very critical steps. So I think the, that's where anyone should start looking initially. When that job is done, of course, I mean, we, uh, let's be realistic, cannot avoid completely your emissions. So you ultimately hit a sort of a, a level of incompressible emissions, which then you need to, uh, you may be willing to compensate for. With this regard, I think the second point here is to say, like, get your, get your first priority in place and then look at how you can possibly act on it. When it comes to trying to offset, to compensate this, this footprint, I think it is, again, vital to remind that, well, there's no miracle. Whatever you do in this field takes time. And everyone who would tell you otherwise is, sorry for the expression, but bullshitting you. Um, and especially when it comes to natural-based solutions, like forestry and tree planting, it definitely takes time. It works, but it takes time. So it's important to accept it and to communicate properly about that. So don't expect miracles. And also don't simplify. What I mean here is that we get often the questions like, oh, but how much does a tree, how much carbon does a tree uh, capture? So that, okay, so that's my footprint. So if I plant so many trees, I'm kind of net zero or I'm carbon neutral. Well, it's of course not as simple as that. Typically because a tree is, has a, a, you could say a non-linear growth. I think we've all seen that if you go in the forest or even in your, in your, at the end of your garden and, and see at a young tree, it's very thin kind of prioritizing the growth vertically to kind of secure his access to the light. So definitely for the first five, 10 years, not capturing a lot of carbon. Then comes a phase where it kind of muscles up, builds a lot of wood, and that's where the, most of the carbon sequestration occurs. And then I, when it reaches maturity, where again, the carbon sequestration gets uh, lower and lower. So it's kind of an S, nonlinear S phase. So giving a figure for one tree is a kind of, again, a kind of a nonsense because it depends on so many factors, the age of the trees, I just said, the species, the location and all that. So whenever we offer carbon sequestration to our company, to our, our companies as our clients, well, we always look at the whole forestry project we have initiated 
which goes for a minimum of 100 years, a mix of species, a mix of different ages and all that. So we have actually built a methodology, a model on how to assess fairly precisely the expected carbon sequestration of this project. And based on that, we have it verified. So we have this model verified by uh, Bureau Veritas, one of the, I guess, top three certification company worldwide. And that enables us to issue what we call verified carbon certificates. This is what we offer with this sense. But again, it takes time and it is a, it is a package based on a full forestry project. So that approach, I think, is also vital if you want to understand the carbon credit market. That sometimes I think that's most likely the, the questionable part of it may give the impression that, okay, you can do whatever you want. You just buy a couple of carbon credits available on that on the voluntary or regulated market, and you're good to go. Well, it's not how it works, and there's no, no free pass in this, uh, in this field. So I think durability, traceability, and uh, what's called additionality, so ma- making sure that your project wouldn't have happened if you would have supported it, those are the key criteria to properly assess carbon-related uh, projects. Tom, the majority of our listeners are uh, technology professionals, software engineers specifically. To what extent is technology playing a role in your business, um, both right now and perhaps in the future? Do you see new means and methods by which you're going to be leveraging software? Yeah, well, our, our solution is clearly digitalized. Uh, that's the first tech angle in our model. Uh, because as I said, we can buy the trees online and we have built a digital universe around it around this tree ownership concept. So you can, on your account, on your online account, you can geolocalize your trees. And we are de- continuously developing different type of, feature, of digital features to make this relation with your trees and your investment as, as interactive and actually exciting as possible. Where, for example, we have developed, a, well, we call it forest view, like street view from on Google Map. I guess everyone's familiar with that, where you, know, you have a kind of, with your phone or your computer, you can have a 360 tour on your forest and you double click and then you jump 20 meters ahead etc literally exactly like on street view and google map to use this kind of tech to you know show practically on the field how how you tree or how the forest is doing um we're also using uh, we're testing uh iot sensors to measure the the trunk the diameter growth of a of trunk of a tree um and also like some sensors that measure the sap flow in a tree especially in spring it's actually quite fascinating to see how, man, how much water is actually carried through a, a tree as it keeps growing. So these features are actually vital to show the vitality and growth of trees. And probably the most exciting field, which is still uh, new for us, and we are partnering with testing different solutions, different tech firms right now, is to use a drone or satellite imagery to actually, from a bird view or from a space view, you could say, perspective, confirm and demonstrate uh, what's happening on the ground in terms of biomass growth, photosynthesis. I mean, again, with very advanced type of imagery that is available today, you can apply all sorts of filters and literally demonstrate from, from above what's happening on the field. So all those technologies are clearly uh, kind of game changers for us because, again, it helps, to, it helps to connect. And yeah, when you connect it, that's when you care. So it definitely has a big role to play in our, in our model. But ultimately, I like to say that a lot of people look at innovation as creating new tech. I believe in our case, we're actually using very old tech. <laughs> we're using uh, Mother Nature's technology. 
well, it's, it's like four and a half billion years of, <laughs> of research and development. Uh, that, that's the time it took nature to develop trees, basically, as we know them. And uh, well, that technology is available for free. So this is a fascinating starting point. Not just always try to reinvent the wheel, but try to be smart and, and, and use existing or leverage existing technology. That's also ultimately what we have done with our model, you could say. Indeed. Tom, I'm, I'm curious about how you go about acquiring land or projects. So does your company purchase land and then plant trees or do you engage with landowners? And in all of this, like how do you identify where you want to plant trees and how you go about that side of things? Yeah, well, this, of course, is a very important question for us, especially as we are scaling internationally. I would say um, we have two models. Our, our by default model, so to speak, is at least so far, it has been to acquire land because we, we're using a fairly simple legal mechanism that enables us to own the land and sell the trees as part of what's called the ownership rights. Even though the trees obviously are rooted in the ground, legally, in terms of property, we can separate them from the ownership of the ground. So we retain the ownership of the ground and we sell to our customers the ownership of the surface, the trees, right? Which makes that when you buy a tree, it, you're buying a commodity, like you would be buying a bike or a computer or a table, basically, with VAT and uh, with an invoice, basically, right? So that legal mechanism means that in most of the cases, we have actually acquired the land, so we are able to sell the trees on the surface, you could say. That's, of course, you can imagine pretty capital intensive, as well as, you know, it carries some fairly long transaction processes, as it's like literally real estate transactions we need to, to go through. So we have developed a, a side model, which we call forest lease, where indeed, as you mentioned, we are partnering with existing landowners who keep the ownership of the land, but hand over to us, we pay for that, the right to plant and the right to harvest. So in that way, it's a kind of a win-win because for us, it helps us to have a much quicker and less capital-intensive access to additional ground where we can run our model and plant our trees and sell them to our clients. And for the landowners, well, they lose, in a way, the usage of the land, but they keep the ownership of it, so it remains in their asset. And they get actually from us, when we buy that right to plant and that right to harvest, they get an upfront payment, which is an upfront revenue instead of, well, very often no revenue at all or um, a long-term revenue. So it's a kind of win-win model and it's uh, clearly something we can uh, quickly develop with. Um, this being said, when we approach uh, an opportunity, whether we want to buy it or whether we want to go into a forest lease, I would say on a, first of all, we look at the macro markets perspective. Um, we started in France, right? Because we were well French, so we, that was our natural domestic markets. But now we've expanded in the Nordics. We have two projects running in Denmark. We're looking in very close to initiate projects in the UK, Baltics, possibly in the in, in the German speaking area, and so forth. So we always look, yeah, we we'll look at a bunch of factors or criteria um, to qualify a project. So it goes from the ecological context, of course. Is it suitable for temperate forest to flourish, uh, and not just right now, but also in 40, 50, 100 years, right? So we look at different ecological factors to make sure that there's a good ecological context for our trees to actually turn into a, a real forestry ecosystem. Otherwise, there is no environmental impact. We look at the forestry agenda of the country, right? I mean, what's the forest coverage? Do they actually need more forest, etc.? We look at the legal framework. This, this legal mechanism I have explained, are they 
easily or completely or partially duplicable in the country. And last but not least, I would say we're looking, of course, into you know regulatory and governance mechanism, make sure that well, our model runs. I mean, in France, for example, we are registered with the French financial authorities you know, that secure that our model is legit and and we're actually the first and the only ones in our field to have this kind of regulation. So uh, yeah, it's a couple of factors. And when all the when the, all the lights are green, so to speak, then we engage basically. And then when it comes to more you know specific projects, of course we search for local and specific expertise uh, locally. That's typically when we have our own forestry people, uh, you know, to do what we call the forestry plan to make sure that we're going to plant the right species, and we also make sure that we can both optimize. CO2 sequestration, uh, but also the you know, preservation of biodiversity, which are two equally important targets for us, because you could easily turn those projects into tree farms, or almost plantations of high, fast-growing trees, monospecies, to kind of optimize the carbon sequestration. But we believe that wild carbon sequestration is a real challenge. Um, the preservation of biodiversity is a, an equally important, if not even more important, challenge to address. And we really try to focus on both equally. We select our projects basically really uh, based on those two key criteria. And uh, Tom, in situations that you're um, carrying out projects on the lands of others, are you carrying out some form of audits or how do you uh, assure yourself that those kind of twin considerations around carbon offsetting but also habitat and biodiversity protection uh, are being satisfied? Because there is some controversy about, you know, you refer to kind of tree farms and, you know, monoculture and planting, just like planting and then clear fell deforestation. There's a, a lot of action in the forestry sector that isn't really concomitant with uh, good environmental outcomes. So how does Ecotree assure itself when it's engaging with other partners that the right things are being done? Yeah, um, well, first of all, I'd I like to remind that we are actually a forestry company. I mean, both from some of our founders up to a big part of our team, we have foresters working. Uh, so it's our ground and our team actually implementing those projects. So we're not a sort of a platform or a middleman that is selling projects carried on by other structures in some further part of the world. So with that, with that regard, uh, that's the first and best step to secure that what you're doing is, is going to actually happen as you wish. Secondly, I would say, well, we... we um, committed to a type of forestry which is close to nature, um, which has a, a bunch of you know, simple guidelines that we very carefully follow, such as avoiding the uses of chemicals or pesticides, always mixing species, favoring local spaces, doing what we, what's called uneven age forestry. So there are all sorts of techniques that we apply that we know until proven otherwise have the best environmental impact. Also, why enabling this possibility of harvesting high quality timber, which generates this revenue, which is at the core of our model. So I would say making sure that we follow the, this type of forestry is also the best way to secure that what we do will have actually a positive impact. And last but not least, but this is actually vital. I mentioned earlier that the, the, you know, the permanence, the durability of the project is key. And so in that sense, the question is, how do you secure that all those trees that you put in the ground, are they going to turn into this forestry ecosystem that you aim for. And at least in our model, um, as part of the pricing that our customers are paying when they purchase a tree, a fraction of that, roughly 30-40%, goes into a, a sort of an escrow account where it's kept frozen or specifically dedicated for to supply the future 
financial means of the of the project. So in a way, when you're buying a trade today, you're also paying for making sure that it's going to have financial resources to uh, yeah thrive and develop, as I said, into a forestry ecosystem. So all those things together, yeah, make us pretty confident about the positive impact of of what we're doing. Fantastic. And uh, Thomas, what might we see next in the sustainable forestry space, both in terms of maybe new technologies, but also uh, in terms of the business? Well, I would say maybe one area which I think is is possibly very interesting, also on trees basically, is uh, developing trees in, in, in the urban environment. There are some initiatives already here and there, you could say. The trees have a different set of benefits, but they clearly have a, a real set of benefits when put into a urban environment, from aesthetic uh, to you know cleaning the air to maintaining some sort of biodiversity level in urban environment. So I believe there is a whole section that that is clearly that should be developed. We also see some visuals that are sometimes I think pretty exciting about real green uh, urban environments. I believe. Um, Trees can also play a big role in this and help us in this, in this field. And that's really promising when you look at how sometimes crazy, how big and intense and, and dense it becomes, the urban environment. Giving room to some trees in that would be uh, something absolutely positive. So I, I believe this is an interesting field. And when it comes to our model, more specifically, as I mentioned, we, we've kind of focused or specialized right now in what, what you call temperate forests. And there are, to keep it simple, there are three types of forests uh, on, the, on our planet. You have the boreal forest, very up north or very down south, close to both uh, poles. You have um, the tropical belt um, and, well, and the temperate forest in between. So, well, I believe that the tropical forest, where actually most of the deforestation occurs these days, um, there's a lot of finger pointing <laughs> in this field. And sometimes I like to remind that we, at least we in Europe, have massively deforested our continent just a couple of decades back. We like not to remember it. But um, we've massively deforested Europe. We just realized that it's had to stop. And now we're definitely doing the right thing by reforesting, upforesting as we, as we call it. But um, yeah, so maybe adapting our model to the tropical type of forest so we can stop uh, deforestation and help local uh, populations and communities to also financially benefit from it. That is certainly something that is ex- very exciting. Our concern now is maybe on the legal and, and governance frameworks that we could leverage in this, uh, this part of the world if we wanted to fully duplicate our model. But this is something uh, yeah, very promising and that we actually uh, may be looking into uh, in the future. Fantastic. Tama, I'd like to congratulate you on your success with Ecotree and to thank you for joining us today on the Story of Software podcast. My pleasure again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. So um, production is always by Adnan Tuchar with support from Albaina Kristeva and Evan Sheehan and music by Robert Cooney. We'll catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.